the steering wheel's on the wrong side here. Alright. First time driving on the right side. Let's see how this goes. The voice you're hearing, that's Adam Satriano. He's one of the reporters on our team in London, and he moved there from San Francisco just a few months ago to cover the European tech scene. And that tape we're listening to, I recorded that just as I was getting into a rental car to drive to the eastern coast of Scotland. I was about midway through the 90-minute drive from Edinburgh Airport on a narrow two-lane road in the Scottish countryside, headed to the town of St. Andrews. And I was thinking, how great is this job that I get to travel here for a story like this, when there was a bit of a snafu. Well, I got a flat tire. So I am in the middle of the Scottish countryside. I have a few cows off to my right here on this two-lane road. Some, And in this rental car, there is no spare. So I am waiting for a tow truck. Um, we'll be there. We'll make it. We're going to do this. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Adam Satriano. And today we're traveling across the Atlantic to explore a new way that startups are raising money in the UK. Not from venture capital firms, not from banks, but from regular people like you and me. And I was making this somewhat fraught journey to St. Andrews to meet the guy who, through a blog, has become one of the most vocal critics of this brave new world of investing. These services that are making equity crowdfunding possible, are they matching the brightest minds of the UK with much needed capital? Or are they making it too easy for investors without enough experience and with incomplete information to dump money into these startups that might never have a chance of succeeding in the first place? Stay with us as we hear from both sides. So back in May, I moved to London, and, and soon after I arrived, I started noticing these peculiar ads in the underground and online. Uh, these were ads encouraging ordinary people to put their own money into funding startups. So what started as a quick, easy way of paying for coffee is beginning to reboot the world of payments. Now everybody has the option of creating their very own secure economy, free of banks and fees. Our Crowdcube fundraise target is £500,000. This will enable us to invest in marketing, PR and promotion to continue to develop our strategic partnerships for user acquisition and to further develop the app. Did you know that over half of pet dogs are overweight? That's why we recently launched our first product, just like a Fitbit, but for dogs. The model is similar to Kickstarter, which many of our American listeners will know as the website that lets you donate money to an artist or a young company, and in return, if the project raises the money it needs, you get some sort of product at the end. The difference is that with these funding sites in the UK, you're not investing in a newfangled coffee maker or a new health monitoring bracelet. You're buying a piece of somebody's company. The biggest platform's called Crowdcube. But there are others too, uh, one called Cedars, another is called Syndicate Room. And the idea is that if you decide to back a startup and then it turns into a successful business, and then it decides to sell to another company or even files for an IPO, you, Brad Stone, will get a piece of the action. <laughs> I can't wait. Ordinary people investing in startups, that's something that only just became legal in the US earlier this year. President Obama tellingly called it the Jobs Act. Previously, you could only invest in startups if you were really rich. 
But even with these deregulations, there are still a lot of restrictions here in the US that just don't exist in the UK, and crowdfunding just hasn't taken off at this very early stage. In the UK, on the other hand, policymakers have been eager to embrace it, and it's become a pretty big industry. And the backdrop here is that after the global financial crisis, banks became reluctant to lend to small businesses. So the idea is, let's allow small business to go directly to consumers for financing. Some companies use crowdfunding along with traditional investors, and it's kind of a marketing technique. You get your customers more engaged with the company if they own a piece of what they're buying. You can see how investors would be drawn to this. You could park your money in government bonds and basically earn zero interest, or you could take this leap of faith and maybe, just maybe, make a crazy return. Yeah, Darren Westlake, who's the CEO of Crowdcube, described it to me as the democratization of investing. The internet has brought prominence to this kind of investing, and you know, VC investing has become kind of sexy, I guess, and people see that stuff. And they want to see if they can get their little part of it, don't they? And here's what one investor told me who I met at a crowdfunding event. I'm Adam Osquarek, and I've invested in over 100 equity crowdfunding campaigns. And in particular, I'm excited by equity crowdfunding because um, there are a lot of problems and things to fix in the world. Um, and startups with tech components are one way to address it. So listening to guys like Darren and Adam, it all sounds really promising. And it is, but like every good experiment, you need to keep a close eye on the results. And very few people are tracking what's actually happening to these startups after they raise money on these websites like Crowdcube. Except for the guy you tracked down on your ill-fated road trip to Scotland. Yeah, a guy named Rob Murray Brown. So we sent you there to meet him. Hi, Hi. nice to meet you. you. How you doing? All right. So you've had a hard day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no problem. Well, I can't understand they didn't have the tire. What did you what did you hire? A Porsche or something? I met Rob on a bench at the top of the cliffs overlooking the North Sea in St. Andrews. It's a beautiful quaint town with one of the world's most famous golf courses. Lots of stone, 17th century buildings, student cafes, golf shops, pubs. And this guy Rob, you were telling me he looks a little bit like the British actor Bill Nye. Yeah, you know the guy from Love Actually. He also played Rufus in Harry Potter. Anyway, it was a windy day, and he was bundled up in a thick tan coat. And and even before you got into your minor uh, car crash, getting to this interview was a little bit of a challenge, right? Yeah, when I first reached out, Rob was understandably wary of a journalist coming in, using all his research that he'd compiled on his blog and not giving him any credit. I offered to fly up to St. Andrews in Scotland to meet with him at his home. And, and I understand he didn't want you to. He didn't. Uh, but after a couple days of back and forth, he agreed to meet me for a beer and dinner in town. It's here that Rob told me about how he stumbled into this world of equity crowdfunding. Uh, well, I, I got interested uh, back in 2011 when the equity crowdfunding market in the UK started. And... Um, Crowdcube, who are now the, the, the world's largest equity crowdfunding site, launched in the, in the middle of 2011, and I started following them. Um, then I invested in a small company, um, which is still going, um, and I got a bit concerned about the way companies were being promoted on the site and the amount of due diligence. And so I asked him to look, get into a little bit more of the specifics. You just look at a company and you'd read what they said about themselves as the founders and you'd check back through the records on the internet 
and find that what they were saying about themselves wasn't entirely true. It was generally um, exaggerated. Quite often, actually, it wasn't true at all. And they never told you any of the bad stuff, only the good stuff, if there was any. And Rob, he's been running small businesses basically his whole life. He knew how hard it was to borrow money from the banks. He wanted crowdfunding to work. So he reached out to Crowdcube. I, I, I sent them a very nice email, I thought, saying, you know, I, would, I said I would offer them a, a free-of-charge service for six months to do their due diligence. I would basically do the job that I felt they weren't doing. I knew they weren't doing it. because I. And according to Rob, Crowdcube basically told him thanks but no thanks and then ignored him. But Rob kept at it. <laughs> so uh, he was told to go away, and of course that got him more interested. So clearly this is a guy who really cares. He really does, and, and I asked him why. I have spent my life running SMEs. And to be honest with you, I, I really hate bullshit. Hmm? And I got really annoyed about it. In fact, it, it annoyed him so much that he kept looking into the companies raising money on these sites. And his kids got tired of listening to him talk about it. So they suggested that he set up a blog. That was in 2015. And this is the blog ominously called The Truth About Equity Crowdfunding that's made him a tiny bit famous in the industry. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little more infamous than famous. Uh, when I brought up Rob's website to people in the crowdfunding industry, I got a lot of tight smiles and grimaces. The website doesn't have a big audience, maybe a thousand people per week, but it's having an impact. Some London papers have picked up things he's written. And it's even led to some new business opportunities for Rob. Yeah, he's been getting uh, the intention of, of startups who are trying to raise money this way, and they've been reaching out to him for advice. He set up a little consulting business on the side. Yeah, I could see how he'd get attention for the blog. There's so much interesting stuff there and so much interest in the industry. But how do you think the investors feel about this? Are they worried, like Rob, about being misled by these sites? That's what I asked the investor we spoke to earlier. Some of them are going to fail. Um, you know, if you treat early-stage investment as part of a balanced and, and broad approach, then you, know, you do risk yourself. And it is at the high end of, of, the, of the risk profile. Um, and I'd certainly not advocate putting everything you have into startups um, you know, as an individual. These investments, you know, 100% of them could fail. Um, you know, uh, so that's the game. Um, I don't ever put anything in. I'm, I would be devastated to lose. Adam Oswarkek is making the conventional wisdom point there about maintaining a balanced portfolio. But the question is, will investors heed that advice? Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll go through the juicy details of some of the startups that never made it. We'll also tell you exactly how many of these startups have actually made money for their investors. Hey guys, it's Aki. You heard from me in episode three about the DNC hack, and I helped produce the show. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's left us a rating and a review on iTunes. It goes so far in helping us climb up the rankings, which in turn helps put our show in front of more people. If you'd like to leave us a review too, open your podcast app on your iPhone, tap the search button on the bottom right, type Decrypted, tap on our show, and then tap on the tab in the middle of the screen that says Reviews. Then you can tap on the purple link a little lower down that says Write a Review. And I promise it's less complicated than it sounds. Now back to the show.
We've been talking about how startups in the UK are using crowdfunding platforms to raise money from ordinary people. It's something that's really starting to take off there. But at least one person, Rob Murray-Brown, who we heard from earlier, has been watching the space closely and has some serious worries about whether companies are disclosing enough information to us, the people they are raising money from. So Adam, let's dig into that some more. Let's take a look at a few of these startups. Every few days, Rob publishes fresh examples of a small company that he thinks is headed for trouble. One of the more high-profile flameouts was a company called Pronto, which was a food delivery startup. That's a great name for a food delivery company. It actually makes me kind of hungry. It raised more than 100,000 pounds from the crowd, along with another 700,000 pounds or so from outside investors. The company valued itself at 5 million pounds on Cedars, which is one of Crowdcube's rivals. Here's what they told potential investors in their pitch video. We've grown up over 6% week on week over the last 24 weeks, but we've missed a majority of our growth every single day because of our delivery area. And this raises first and foremost all about growth, about rolling out and expanding our footprint here across the Sounds exciting, right? We're lucky to have some of London's top investors. Pronto went out of business about three months later. I asked Rob about this. I mean, if you, if you read the pitch, which I have done, it, it, you know, it sounds good. They, they talk a good game. It all seems to be uh, tickety-boo. I think, I think one of the problems with these companies is that they, 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 they come for money before they've stress-tested their model. And, and so when, when, when they get the money and they, 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 they hit the starting button... It, it, all the wheels start to grind and, and, the, and the cogs come off and they don't know what to do. You know, I mean, clearly, to, to lose £800,000 in three months is quite an achievement. The founder of Pronto, the guy in the video, declined to comment to us for the story. He did write an apology letter to investors that said the company didn't have the resources to scale and compete against larger rivals. What other horror stories have you heard? Another company, a clothing manufacturer, went bust just the past few weeks, as did a subscription snack business. Uh, Rob's blog has several mentions of companies' financial results didn't live up to what they were projecting. A report last year by AltFi, uh, uh, this is kind of a research firm that's been looking into this, they said that one in five of the companies that use crowdfunding from 2011 to 2013 have since gone bust. So, Adam, none of this is unusual. There's a lot of risk in startup investing. It's very typical for startups never to make it. Even the big ones funded by tons of venture capital can can eventually fold, like Fab.com, which we profiled in our very first episode. Yeah, that's something that Darren Westlake, the CEO of Crowdcube, pointed out. The most successful companies won't materialize until later. Failure comes first. Still, the bigger question here is, are there a couple breakout successes to balance out all the failures? Okay, then. So stepping back, what is the tally? Of the more than 1,000 companies that have used crowdfunding to raise money, there have been three exits. One was a craft beer maker called Camden Brewery that got sold. Uh, Investors there nearly doubled their money. And I've had the beer. It's pretty tasty. Okay, so not a gangbuster return if you're a venture capitalist, but certainly respectable. Yeah, uh, another company was eCar Club, which sold uh, for about three times the, what their initial investment was, so also respectable. And the third was Wool and the Gang, a garment company. It sold for a touch more than what it raised. Uh, it, this one was cute. They offered gift certificates instead of the small game it generated for investors. 
So beer, car sharing, and garments, and, and that's it. That's it. Three exits out of more than 1,000 startups. That's a little depressing. Here is Rob again. The model that, um, that, that the, the platforms put out is that, that you should spread your investment, very sensible. So uh, what the model they give you is you, you need to invest in 10 companies, of which one will give you a good return, two might give you a small return, and seven will go bust, which, as we're looking at it now, I'd say is quite optimistic. The problem is that the one giving you the good return, if you imagine it has to give you almost 10 times the return to make up for the losses. And we're not even, there's no hint of that happening at all. And yet there's more and more money coming into this industry. I have some numbers here, and when Adam showed them to me, they were surprising. 332 million pounds were invested in crowdfunding services last year, which was three times the previous year. And one study said that about 15% of all early stage investments in UK startups came from crowdfunding. I called Professor Saul Estrin at the London School of Economics. He spent some time studying the sector. They're bound to be failures in this sort of area. It's very early stage investment. So that, you know, people who know about that sort of investing know that it is risky. So there shouldn't be surprises in failures, in the fact that they're failures. I think more serious is that as yet there have been very limited numbers of, of great successes. On the other hand, that also relates to the early stage feature. I mean, um, um, you know, the, the, this really got going to any scale, I suppose, end of 2014 and early 2015. It would be very, you'd be very lucky to get big successes in that sort of time scale. So we don't start seeing, first of all, uh, uh, not that many of these failures, and second of all, some really visible successes. I think the luster, uh, you know, the, the shine may go from this new idea, but I don't think that has. I don't think we're exactly at the point where that is going to happen now or in the next few months. I think, you know, the window is in the next few years. It's a tough call because the companies aren't doing anything illegal here, but the material that potential investors see online might be misleading, or at least not representing the full picture. Like last week's episode, where you and Ellen talked to the entrepreneur Antonio Garcia Martinez, Antonio said he lied to his investors, that he jacked up his growth projections, and lowered his company's legal costs in order to raise enough money. And sure, that was definitely unethical, and Antonio now admits it. But in that episode, one of his investors, a guy named Russell Siegelman, formerly at one of the big Silicon Valley venture capital firms, Kleiner Perkins, told us he doesn't even look at projections for an early-stage startup. And that's coming from Russ, a professional investor, incredibly experienced and very savvy. These investors on sites like Crowdcube and Cedar trying to hit the jackpot, though, that might be a different matter. And that's what's bothering Rob. He thinks these platforms need to do more to weed out the bad companies, to, to be more of an honest referee and make sure the entrepreneurs, however well-intentioned, aren't spinning fairy tales to gullible investors. And he blames it partly on the business model, because the companies like Crowdcube take a percentage of all the money that gets raised on their site. And what does Crowdcube say about this? As you can imagine, the CEO, Darren Westlake, definitely disagrees. Well, first of all, People invest relatively small amounts of money, yeah. So people aren't best, besting, betting their life savings on this stuff. The average investment is £2,000. £2, mm -hmm. um, 
And the other, the other, my other point to, to that kind of argument is, I think it's quite patronising to think that people don't understand the risk and don't have the ability to pick and choose what they want to invest in. And even VCs and professional investors aren't that great at it either. And on top of this, it is worth noting that Crowdcube makes you take this test before you're allowed to be an investor, so they make sure you're getting into this with some level of knowledge about the risks. Adam, did you take the test? I did. Uh, tell us your score. <laughs> it's a series of multiple choice questions, like what happens to most startups? Do they fail or do they become big successes and make investors lots of money? Or what happens if a company fails? Will you lose your money or will Crowdcube reimburse you for your losses? So I clicked through all the wrong answers just to see what would happen. And it said I didn't pass uh, what they call the sufficient knowledge test needed to become an investor. But then they let me take it again. Did you take it again? I did. I passed. <laughs> so what does Crowdcube think about your friend Rob up in Scotland? When I first talked to Darren, I wasn't planning on centering our story around Rob, so I didn't ask him. But when I went back to Darren recently, he declined to go back on tape to talk to me for the story. But he sent over a statement. Oh, whenever you get the statement from a company, you know that you're on sensitive territory. So do you want to read it out loud? Yeah, yeah, I'll read it. He said Crowdcube welcomes, quote, constructive commentary on the industry. We're constantly improving our processes to ensure investment opportunities are presented fairly and our investors are aware of the risk. And so he goes on to say that investors know about the risks involved here and that the, that the problems are, are made clear. Reading between the lines, is he suggesting that Rob's criticism is not constructive? Well, Crowdcube has been a particular target for Rob. Cedars, which was started by a former corporate M&A attorney, has a bit of a tougher due diligence process and serves as a representative for the investors with the funded companies. And when I reached out to Cedars, its CEO Jeff Lynn said failure is inevitable. He expects 70-80% to fail. He said anybody who doesn't know that shouldn't be investing. And there was one other company you mentioned earlier in the program. Syndicate room, yeah, that's one requires people to put more money in as a way to ensure that they're a more sophisticated investor. And it only lists companies that have money from a, an angel investor or another uh, accredited backer. Can you, can you crowdfund investments into the crowdfunding companies themselves? You know, I think that's a good idea. I did see a company that has that it is now scoring crowdfunding companies, so there are a lot of different variations popping up. So I guess what Rob is pushing for is a combination of more vetting from the websites as well as better regulation. The UK government is taking recommendations from the public right now, and industry groups are also putting in their ideas for tightening the system. In the meantime, the platforms are looking to expand into China, India, and some even have their sites set on the US. So Brad, let me get your take. Would you invest through one of these platforms? You know, I'm going to come at it from a Silicon Valley mentality, and we don't have these crowdfunding investment sites here. Any entrepreneur, you know, with experience or with a great idea is going to go to professional investors. And so my sense is that you'd be getting the kind of bottom half of the opportunities on these services. And given that there is inherently so much risk in startup investing to begin with, 
Uh, coupled with the fact that we are here, Adam, all on journalist salaries, I think I might skip it. How about you? I tend to agree. I, I like the idea that there are these uh, alternative forms of finance, and not all companies need to end up being a unicorn or a multi-billion dollar business. There are a lot of others that just need a bit of seed capital to get off the ground. There are a lot of restaurants or other types of companies that are taking advantage of this. But I do think that Rob makes uh, uh, is laying out a pretty good argument about some of the problems, and so I would tread very carefully. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. And let us know, would you consider becoming an investor on an equity crowdfunding site? Or if you've done it already, tell us what you got out of the experience. I'm on Twitter at at Brad Stone. And I'm at at Satriano. And if you have an iPhone, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or in any of your favorite podcast apps out there. And while you're there, please take a moment to rate and review our show. It really helps get our show in front of more listeners. This episode was produced by Aki Ito, Pia Gadkari, Magnus Hendrickson, and Liz Smith. Aaron Black assisted with recording, and Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.